Hey, this is Molly. And this is Shannon. And you're listening to the Mediocre Expectations Podcast, Episode 6. All right, friends, today is a big day because we are talking about the Boston Molasses Flood. Wow, what a long-awaited day, and we decided to do this short and special podcast for the 100th anniversary of this interesting event in Massachusetts history. So the Boston Molasses Flood, I think, is one of the underrated Massachusetts history events because, one, in terms of notoriety, very few people actually know about it. And two, in a city and a state where the American Revolution started, it's quite easy to have everything that happened after that be kind of overshadowed. Um, beforehand, Shannon and I were talking about like whether because it's so far removed from it, if people find this like comical or how people view this event because 21 people died. Um, and we will be talking about the details of it. Um, and because it's so far removed, it's like it's such a odd event in history because it's molasses and um, to have a natural disaster made of that, such as like having a truck of donuts flip over on the highway. Those are things that definitely make headlines, um, aren't remembered for a long time, but sometimes stick out in people's memories because of how bizarre the event is. So I think we can at least agree this is a bizarre event in Massachusetts history. Very tragic, but also just so far away from it. Odd. Just yeah, uncanny. I mean, a hundred years out. Can you laugh or can you not laugh? And I'll let you all be the judge of that. Post learning a little bit more about the Boston molasses flood. Uh, Molly had said that this is a natural disaster, and that might be a misnomer <laughs> because there was nothing natural about this natural. at all. <laughs> so, I think I was thinking of the fact that it was a tidal yes. wave. So we're going to do our best to condense everything that happened into a digestible pod today. So bear with us if we don't, you know, touch on everything that could be touched on. But you can chat with us after if you want. I don't know. But so the molasses tank was put in the north end by the Purity Distilling Company, which was a subsidiary of the... Uh, United States Industrial Alcohol Company um, because the North End it, it has an amazing location in terms of proximity to the water, easy to, you know, bring molasses in, mm-hmm. bring molasses out. Uh, <laughs> and second is that this tank was a huge eyesore and the North End was populated by poor Italian immigrants who didn't really have the voice to advocate for themselves 
to say, we don't want this here. And then it gets put up. So we have a 50-foot-high molasses tank with a diameter of about 90 feet. So uh, for those of you who don't understand sizes or estimation or anything like myself, (laughs) I'd like to imagine that if you take your local McDonald's Your local McDonald's. The size of your local McDonald's? two play places. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) you add a little. I'm I'm not going to fact check that, but basically a very large. Huge, okay. (laughs) So So this gets put up by this company that does not have extensive experience in this kind of engineering because not only um, are there not many vessels for molasses, um, but another big problem is that molasses is fermented to make rum. So this is something that goes through fermentation, is combustible, and um, with fermentation can create a pressurized space. And when you have something in a tank that gets refilled 29 times throughout the course of I'm not sure what the time span from the beginning to end of this is but it gets refilled 29 times so you imagine new molasses comes in some of it gets drained out and then that becomes old molasses and starts to ferment and then they add new molasses on top of that so they do this 29 times so it starts to ferment and pressure builds up and at the end of the day, with something like well, this, they so say it's that they aren't that really sure exactly not why this happens. Not just in terms of scientific what's going on, but the Purity Distilling Company that implemented this tank in the North End, they didn't have any architect or engineer. I, I, there was no, no one with any kind of technical knowledge that created the blueprints for this tank. And the second thing is that any kind of tank that you build, basic tank knowledge, everyone, is that to test yeah, everyone's <laughs> high school tank knowledge. Yeah. To test the structural integrity of the tank, you need to fill this sounds dumb, but usually you're supposed to fill the whole tank with water to see if there's any leaks. Now, mind you, this is a 2.5 million gallon storage tank. So the company said to themselves, we don't want to waste the time and money to fill the whole tank so we'll fill it halfway. And it didn't leak at the halfway point. So they, just, they said, sure, yeah, like whatever, we don't care. And lo and behold, during the 29 times, as Molly mentioned, that they kept filling up and filling up, the tank started to leak. So as any good company would, when you find out that the vessel that you're putting your precious product in is leaking out of it, what do you do? You paint the tank. Paint it brown. Yeah, to match the color of the product so you can't see that it's leaking out. Now, you know, we can say that the people of the North End weren't benefiting at all, which is at least 99.99999% of the story. But the 0.00001% that they were benefiting is that they would send their children with pails out to the tank to collect the molasses that would uh, pour down the sides. So, I mean, hey, Honestly, they had an eyesore. 
what a what an absolute sweet treat you know um <laughs> at least that point zero 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 one percent was benefiting from that um maybe making their own rum or just like using it as a maple syrup product um but yeah, it was it was pretty ridiculous in terms of how it was regulated. So I think yeah. that's a big area of scrutiny, um, at least from me, and I know from you. But what happens next, you won't believe. <laughs> it's also important to note that a lot of the molasses that was being uh, like put into this tank and processed was being made into industrial alcohol. Um, mm-hmm and used for like um like for explosives for the war effort which is wild to think about so as you can imagine there were people that tried to pass this explosion off as some kind of you know oh it was anarchy like this is at the height of like sacco and vincetti uh, you're everyone's favorite local anarchists and yeah one in doubt scapegoat scapegoat and anarchist yeah exactly but exactly like molly said what happened next you won't believe suspense so basically (laughs) they're on january 15th 1919 at high noon and a quarter or sorry and half 30 (laughs) 1230. <laughs> noon 30. Yes, yeah, sorry. Noon 30. Uh, the citizens of the North End suddenly feel a rumbling. And not a Winnie the Pooh rumbling in my tummy kind of rumbling. Like a Richter scale. I don't know what the Richter scale goes up to. So I'm just going to pick a number that's out. It's like nine. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, seismic. Like seven Pretty or thick. Nine so pretty yeah. Significant, I think. Maybe. Pretty thick (laughs) rumble. Please respond with how thick you think the rumble was. But so. So they hear this rumbling. And the rivets of the tank give out. Like shrapnel from a bomb at the speed that they traveled. It knocked out. In the north end at the time, there was the elevated L train. It knocked off the whole train the whole elevated train was gone and honestly like elevated train we could have had that you know could have been the thing of the future and then gone molly can you uh tell the people the speed at which the molasses was traveling which before molly says the speed i want everyone to remember that the old adage is or you know, metaphor, whatever, I don't know, (laughs) it's referred to as, I'm really struggling with my brain today, but we say, ah, you're moving slow as molasses. And yet. Um, Yeah, molasses is not that slow, it turns out. So the speed is that of me driving on 106. (laughs) So imagine me hitting... (laughs) imagine me hitting you with my car 35 miles per hour and not only is it like getting hit by a car but think about the fact that molasses is thick and it will suffocate you so i think that would knock the absolute wind out of you and more oh yeah and and it did the recorded heights go between from the highest mark which you could see on the building because it knocked buildings at least six buildings 
clear off their foundation, 100 feet over. Um, but the height of the molasses was about 50 feet. Like, 50 feet? Oh, my God! Yeah. Imagine seeing that tidal wave of just, like, dark amber brown. You just... My God. But so this wave comes, and it's knocking people out left, right, and center. And it's also... um, It's also sticking up horses and people people and filled their nostrils essentially and like molly said suffocated them but it became difficult in terms of efforts to save people because they couldn't tell if it was a human or a horse underneath the molasses because all they could see was bubbles in addition in addition to that um because it was even though it was in January, it was kind of seasonably unseasonably warm. Yeah. So it was in the 40s. And so when this happened, it was in the 40s. And when rescue crews came, the molasses started to cool as like if you were to make your own like caramel sauce or something. As that starts to crystallize, you can imagine how hard that would get. So the rescue teams were stuck in it in addition to people. So... There, from the Boston Post, um, a firsthand account said, uh, Robert Burnett is the name of the man that gave the account. I thought it was an elevated train until I heard a swish as if the wind was rushing. Then it became dark. I looked out the windows from a second floor dining room and saw this great black wave coming. It didn't rush. It just rolled slowly, it seemed, like the side of a mountain falling into space. Of course, it came quickly. We snatched open the door of the hall, and molasses was already at the top of the 14th flight of stairs. I slammed the door, and we ran to the roof. I I think it's wild to imagine how absolutely like devastating this was to the community. And how at the same time this realistically was an avoidable event as many human and man-made disasters are Mm. i think that's why i think that's why it is interesting to look at it 100 almost 100 years later and crit and criticize it because it is something that although it was a tragedy like you said it was brought upon incorrect regulations and human error um and not just like human error meaning accidents it was the intentionality behind it i think what is so disturbing 150 people injured 21 people killed and as you had told me earlier the engine 31 firehouse completely knocked off of its foundation that is insane and not only that, but having to, the only way to kind of clean up the streets after this was to use pressurized salt water to literally carve out and remove all of this molasses and get it into the harbor. Wild. Yeah, it it really decimated the community and already vulnerable population. And uh, my grandmother was, grew up in the North End and she was born in the late 20s. And she, which 
people who hold North End North Enders will tell you that in the summer it used to still smell like molasses <laughs> because that's yeah that's one of my favorite sayings because even this summer when I was told about this in more detail by um, you and a few other people I was literally having lunch like in City Hall Plaza and they're like to this day you can still smell the molasses in the ground and the pavement <laughs> because it's true though it's so it was so insidious the way in which it mm. stayed in basements and crevices and and what a sick a sickly sweet reminder of a disaster one of the final takeaways too is interesting that um, the post post disaster ramifications for the United States Industrial Alcohol Company, um, a judge ruled against them and said it was their fault, and it essentially was the first mm-hmm. uh, major court ruling against a U.S. corporation. Um. And rightfully so, but interesting that it precedes an era of hefty regulation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of the, I would say, summary in terms of, like, facts and figures and the events and stuff. Um, I know you quickly wanted to mention um, an event that you might be going to tomorrow um, because it is the 100th anniversary. Yeah, so... If you have time, there's two events that are going on. Uh, There's one that's uh, on the waterfront in uh, Boston, so where the molasses spill, or sorry, molasses flood actually happened. And it is the, uh, let me double check the. In the meantime, I will plug that. um, So on the anniversary of the 15th, Boston Uncovered will be doing a video about this as well. So if you have listened to this and you kind of want to see more about it or hear from some historians in Boston about this, um, I haven't seen it yet, so I'm not sure whether they're going to show some pictures or relics or whatever it may be. Definitely check that out. I'm sure it will be on the City of Boston um, Twitter account or the um, Historical Society or something like that. And we'll try to share that as well. Yeah, the Boston Molasses Flood commemoration is tomorrow at 1030 at Langone Park, which is on Commercial Street. And there's also another event that's later in the evening in Alston that we were talking about that there was a controversy as to whether or not it's appropriate to have comedians at an event commemorating the fact that 21 people died (laughs) yeah because i think people like to make light of um tragedy in every circumstance and whether that's appropriate or not i can't say um but i do think throughout this we kind of weighed some of the reasoning behind why people may find this something not to joke about or something to joke about um because of the fact that it was something that was avoidable it is something that is so far in the past and more so that kind of the logistics of the situation being like molasses candy based something that's so bizarre and something so um out of the ordinary is why maybe it would warrant someone being intrigued or thinking it would maybe be something to be made light of but i know plenty of people that don't think it's funny so i understand that too but the takeaway here folks is that boston has 
as Molly said, Boston Uncovered, a history that is not just the revolution. Take some time to think about all the weird things that go on in Boston that aren't also just the Kitar Bear. <laughs> I hope that you, you all enjoyed this uh, emergency quick episode of Mediocre X-Pod. And, you know, tomorrow at noon 30, I hope you have a moment of silence because this is an absolutely wild event. And sure as heck, I'm taking a moment of silence. And it's something that deserves to be recognized and learned from as it has been, um, which I think is pretty great. So, you know, happy January 15th or sad January 15th, but remember the molasses flood. All right. That does it for us. Thanks, guys. Thanks.